0: Hello and welcome back to Freedom Machines with Freddie Dobbs, the final podcast episode of the year. This week's podcast episode proudly sport or proudly brought to you by Excel Moto. That's the one stop shop for all things motorcycling related, whether you need clothes, servicing parts for your bike, you want to modify your bike, you want to kit yourself up for a huge Euro or American trip. This is the place to go. It's Moto. all of the details in the written description. Right, as I am now, one year older, and as we come to the end of the year, it's nice to look back and think, have you done things decently? Are you happy the way things have turned out for the year? And I want to start this podcast episode with financial freedom and the importance of it, or at least my perceived importance of it, because I know I've probably bored you all to death with how I, I once overstretched myself with a few vehicles and it ended up being fairly miserable when I was in that financial situation, owning a vehicle that pushed me to the financial limits where it actually stopped me going on holiday. And I often think back, you know, if we all look back, time at school, Even time at university, if you went to university. Think of your time at school. You were probably penniless with nothing at all, but you don't look back on those moments thinking, oh God, childhood. God, that was was tough. You know, that was not easy. Usually those times coming of thinking times are difficult later in life, yet we have more money. And I was trying to get my head around that. You know, why do you always seem to be out and about doing different things when you're a child? And then I often think, my lord, when I'm an adult, I'll be able to do anything I want because I'll be earning. And sometimes it doesn't always work out like that. I think many of you may agree with me that it's often the case that actually as we get older, money seems to get a little bit more restricted whether that's the responsibilities we have with families and properties and outgoings with, with vehicles. It's often the case that the more money we earn, the more money we spend and the more overheads we decide to get, you know, we get a pay rise. Brilliant. Let's go out and get an upgraded car. We have an end of year bonus. <gasps> Amazing, let's, let's do that loft extension or let's do that kitchen extension. And of course, for us bikers, why don't we go and buy some more bits for the bike or upgrade the bike? Go and get that 1,000cc plus bike that we've always dreamt of. But the most important thing, probably, that goes side and side or side to side with financial freedom is the disposable income at the end of every month. Because, of course, my level of financial freedom will be very different to someone else's. Let's say, for sake of argument, that I would say that I'm completely comfortable and I could live a dream life on 2,000 pounds a month, but it may well take someone else 12,000 pounds to live that way if they've got a big mortgage or children, for example. So everyone's situation is slightly different, but there's a magic, there's a magic in having genuine financial freedom, not being a millionaire, it's not necessary. I mean, it's lovely, I'd love to be one, but having that freedom where you're you're able to not really worry about money. Simple things like filling the bike up to the brim and not thinking, bugger, bugger, I've got to go and fill the bike up, or I've got to, you know, change the tires on the on the bike, and it's borderline a heartbreaking decision. You know, that, you know, I need to change one tire. That that means I need to very possibly be careful of the kind of food I buy. And how much of this is our is up to us, is in our control, or how much of it is external elements influencing us. I remember when I bought my lovely Jaguar, even my Triumph Speed Triple, when I was a bit tight on money, most of the things that put me personally into that financial situation, I put myself in. I was spending more money and putting myself into debt that was ruining my life, and that was self-inflicted on myself and I now have cheaper vehicles that's more in line with my earnings and I've now never been happier whereas if I do come into more money in the future of course I may upgrade one of those vehicles you know maybe get a bigger place but right now I feel like I'm in the perfect spot for my personal earnings and it's taken a few years of me trying to figure out you know the joy of just being in that area of financial freedom where I'm not always thinking, oh, yesterday was, or last month was a great month. Why don't I go out and stretch myself? And then I'm right back into the same situation I was in before. Often I would have replaced, for example, the Fiat 500 that I've got now two or three times in the meantime to where we are now. But this time I've decided to not replace it at all. And that saved me probably thousands and meant that I'm significantly more comfortable. Similarly with the Bonneville. It's now the longest, to the best of my knowledge, I've ever kept a bike and me not changing in the meantime has meant that I have had more financial freedom. It's just something I've been thinking about over the past year. So on that, I did some polls across every social media platform that I'm on. Let me get the question up that I asked because I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Right it's always the way, just as I go and look for it, I can't find it. I'll start with Instagram. Let's have a look here. So Instagram, I'll have to go to my archive because it's just finished. I gave everything 24 hours and there were over two and a half thousand responses in 24 hours. The question I wanted to know, what's more important? And I asked this across Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Two and a half thousand responses. The question, what's more important to you? Financially stretching yourself to own your dream motorcycle or owning a lesser bike, but with significantly more financial freedom. The results on Instagram, 72% of people said that they valued more financial freedom over getting that dream bike. The next. The next feedback was from YouTube and this was 1,200 votes. People on YouTube voted at 82% that they value more financial freedom over a dream bike. Twitter, 92% valued lower overheads over a dream bike. And finally, Facebook. This was a hundred people voted more financial freedom and just 16 people voted for a dream bike. I'll just give you a little bit of meat on the bones for this and read out a few interesting bits of insight. The first comes from Sean. Have a listen to this. Hi, Freddie. In reply to your question, I can give you a real life example. I've been looking for a bike for ages and finally took the plunge this morning. However, It was not as simple as it looked. I went to a Triumph dealer, Triumph main dealer yesterday and looked at my dream bike, the new 765 Street Triple R. They gave me plenty of options on purchase, but the only one I could settle on was the PCP deal, which involved the following. On the road price at £9,595, deposit, £2,144, monthly payments £95, 37 months with final payment of £5,349. Now I was all prepared to do this until yesterday evening. It then dawned on me that I didn't really want a £9,000 bike hanging around my neck that I'd not own. I took some time and went to the Kawasaki dealer this morning to look at another bike I'd been toying with. I ended up buying it because it fits block capitals most of the bill, but left me financially so much better off. It was a 2017 Kawasaki Ninja 650 with 6,000 miles on the clock, full service history. I've never heard of this, incredible. Lifetime warranty. I paid 5,200 pounds and I own it outright. This Sean has been echoed a few times by different people because you know a lot of people are happy to do to do financial plans, whether it's PCP or a, a traditional loan. Many people happy to happy to do that, and there's nothing wrong with that. Some people just plain don't like the idea of not owning a bike outright. I'll be completely honest with you; it's something that I'm still trying to uh, try trying to get around in my own head because I do like the idea of being able to go out and buy your dream bike but yes Sean I similar to you I do still struggle slightly with having having a loan over my head that's the complete truth great to hear your thoughts there Sean thank you and I'll move on to the next bit of insight and apologies I've forgotten to save your name but thank you for sending this Uh, Freddie, there's never any freedom in being broke or chasing uh, to make ends meet. I'm fortunate to have bought my dream bike as my first bike. If I wasn't in that position, I'd have bought something less and waited. I think it's important that whatever bike you buy, you have to look back at it and smile as you walk off. Yeah, bang on. You're completely right. This is something that I have have failed to understand in the past with previous bikes, such as, I think, a Honda CB500. You know, even my Suzuki RF6, Suzuki RF600. These are bikes I never really fell in love with and it meant I didn't want to keep them, it meant I sold them. Sold them at a loss, ended up buying my dream bike and I lost money in that respect. So this is a very valid point. You can go out there, not buy your dream bike, and then realize you don't actually love it that much End up selling it for a loss, and three months later going out to buy your dream bike. So you're spending more money. That's a very, very important argument, and it's something that I've made the mistake on in the past. I move on. Next one, uh, Freddie. Lesser machine with more financial freedom. I like to go places on my motorcycles, and if owning the dream, uh, if owning the dream bike meant I couldn't afford to take tours on it, I would choose the lesser bike and more travel. Exactly my thoughts. I completely agree with you. Let me read out. Just a couple more because I got a lot a lot of input here from the YouTube post. So I just want to read out In fact I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll read out the the most some of the most popular ones here. When you are on a bike ride and, you, and you're and you having fun, it doesn't matter what kind of bike you have. You're living in the moment. It only changes when you start comparing your motorcycle to newer, more expensive models. Another says, as they say, four wheels moves the body, two wheels moves the soul. It's all relative. You get what you can afford. As long as it moves the soul, there's always a dream bike to work towards. Another says, I feel you should definitely... I feel you definitely should dream of your desired bike to achieve that goal. Keep producing these videos and earn money enough that you can make your dream a reality with the financial stability to maintain everything. This is my point of view. I know, though, you got enough. <laughs> I know, though, you've got enough to buy that Speedmaster. Yes, yes, I'll need to save up for it. Let me do two more. First of two. I've had both sides of the coin. I had a Thruxton 1200R, which I had half on finance. And I now have a Royal Enfield Classic 350 with no finance, and it's brilliant. I still can't get over the build quality. Also, the super smooth gears. Yeah, great to hear from you, who's, who's had both an expensive and cheaper bike. Uh, Freddie... I've owned a lot of motorcycles, including dream bikes. Some of them I found disappointing and some unexpected bikes have become dream bikes. Keep an open mind, sir. Give them all a chance." Thank you all for that. It's been eye-opening. It was also quite interesting to me. It was the vast majority of people who, who felt that financial freedom, really the vast majority, Financial freedom more important than the absolute dream bike. We're lucky in biking. There's almost something for everyone and relatively speaking, they are not that expensive. Right, I move on to the Pacific Northwest of America. Freddie, greetings. I was wondering a couple of random questions you might be kind enough to answer. Number one, my first bike I purchased was a 2018 Royal Enfield Classic 500, matte black like the one you rode in Spain, I believe. And I've done some minor upgrades since buying it. A Hitchcock exhaust, fuel X, fuel uh, ejection or injection optimizer, cosmetic upgrades, etc. It's so unique, I doubt I could ever sell it. The classic look and simplistic riding style makes it such a different bike from any other on the road I see nowadays. nowadays and I will always love it for that. Just recently, though, I was fortunate enough to be able to purchase a Moto Guzzi V7 Twin Centenario, and it's just worlds apart from the classic 500 as to be expected. I love both bikes for completely different reasons, and quite frankly, the Moto Guzzi is just cool. I was wondering what your thoughts were on having multiple bikes, if your budget allows, to experience different kinds of riding. If I want to pop around town in Portland, Oregon, Uh, or ride to wine country on the back roads. I can either bike, uh, I can use either bike, but the classic 500 is perfect for just taking everything in. But if I want to ride an hour and 15 minutes west to the Pacific coast, then the Moto Guzzi is without question the better option. Do you see yourself one day owning multiple bikes for different occasions? Yes, you can buy a bike that can do everything, but there is a reason you do reviews of the different bikes you ride, because each experience provides something uniquely special. There's a second question, but let me get to this first. Uh, I mean, first of all, you know, when you read out these different places that you can ride around, you know, Portland, Oregon, the US in general, you realise what a fantastic part of the world it is out there. There are so many breathtaking things to see out in the US. On the point of buying multiple different bikes for different occasions. I said recently that I'm too lazy to own multiple bikes. I like the feeling of just having one bike because I hate the paperwork and everything else that goes with it and that is true up to a point or up until a point because it's not completely fair I say that because if I were in a position where I had storage space for example, a garage and I had a little bit more disposable income for another bike, would I go out and buy another bike? Very possibly I would, that's the honest truth. If I could, if you if you make me make this decision now, Brian, and and I have to give a complete answer here. I would keep the Bonneville. I, there's something about that classic 500 that you've got. It's a bike I still think about a lot. I've never ridden a bike with so much character. It's a really special bike. I wouldn't say no to one of those. Would I, I, I tell you what I'd do. I tell you what I'd do. I would have one, I'd have one proper off-roading bike, let's let's say a 250cc or 450cc, really light. I don't like the look of them, but one of those Honda off-roaders, really light, really chuckable, designed for off-roading fun. I would only use it for off-roading because I don't like the way it looks, but it does look good. I would then keep the Bonneville. I would then have a guilty pleasure bike, which would probably be a gigantic Harley-Davidson cruiser, and very possibly Ah, this sounds weird. There's something about those gold rings. Something about those. I don't know, there's something about them. Yeah, maybe I'd have that as well. But yes, I would, yeah. If the money allowed it, as you rightly say, Brian, I would, of course I would. Why would I not if I have the money? Yeah, you only live once, definitely. Next question. In fact, I've just seen Brian, Brian O'Rourke, that must be, must have Irish heritage there, O'Rourke. Number two question from Brian. I believe you haven't ridden the upgraded Moto Goodsey V7 engine, but do you think this bike is a good option to do a long distance trip from Portland, Oregon to Los Angeles, California? (coughs) Oh, sorry, I had a coughing attack as I read that. What a ride. Portland, Oregon to Los Angeles, California, on beautifully scenic Highway 101, finishing at the new Bike Shed location. The trip's about 966 miles, with long stretches of highway road, with 70 mile an hour speed limits. It's a bucket list trip for most people, and I'd love to do it on my bike, but not sure if it's capable or if I need an Advantage style bike instead. Oh, Brian. Riding dreams, <coughs> so I had a weird coughing attack then. Riding dreams, that is just just reading it and daydreaming, daydreaming about it. Yes, I like this question. With the upgraded Moto Guzzi engine, I rode the old Moto Guzzi V7 with the 750cc engine. That was only about 50 horsepower. Noticeably less horsepower than my Bonneville. Much more in line with the power from a Royal Enfield Interceptor. And you could definitely do that trip even on the old Moto cv V7. I haven't yet ridden the new 850cc, but it's pretty much bang on in line with the Triumph Bonneville's horsepower. And I can say w- without any hesitation or concern, even though I've never read it, knowing what the old one was like, this extra 10 horsepower, so Brian, you will be in the perfect position with that bike just to cruise effortless, effortless, effortlessly. 80 miles an hour or so along some of those beautiful roads, it will be the perfect companion for that bike. That extra 10 horsepower in the V7, the Motor Guzzi, will at least on paper and from riding the old one transform it into a bike that was noticeably less capable than the Bonneville into something that is neck and neck with the Bonneville. And I welcome any owners or anyone who's tested it, let me know about that if I'm right or wrong and I'll share that so Brian can have a listen as well. Brian, let me know if you do that trip. I would love to see some pictures of it if you do it because it is the stuff of dreams. Have a fantastic Christmas. I move on. Freddie, I'm a viewer from the Netherlands. Next month I'm due to get my license. Since I'm a bit older, I'll get my full license straight away, so I'm not limited to lower powered bikes. That being said, I've done all my lessons on a Kawasaki Z650, which I think they got in the A2 version, so it's only 45 horsepower. Now, I'm more attracted to the relaxed style of riding rather than getting something sporty, and for that reason, I'm primarily considering the small Rebel 500. The 500 unfortunately is also an A2 version and since I do want to go on longer adventures it might be a bit too small for that. But I think the 1100 might be a bit too powerful. Anyway, I've fallen in love with the Triumph, which might be your fault in part. I've always thought of them to be a bit too expensive as my first bike until I saw the speed to a 900 in one of your latest videos. It looks like it could potentially be a bike. Uh, It looks like it could potentially be a great bike for me to get around on, but at 65 horsepower, would it be a bit, or would it be a good step up from the 45 horsepower naked bike that I've been learning on since midsummer? Okay, so the question, would it be, uh, but at 65 horsepower, would it be a good step up from the 45 horsepower naked I've been learning on? I continue. I figured I could try and ask for your advice, uh, since you're an experienced rider that has tried many different bikes, if it would be a good idea to make that step up in power for my first bike, or maybe stick around A2 level for now. I've got no real way to gauge how big of a difference that change in power makes it for around uh, how... Big a difference that change in power makes, and for right around ten thousand, I don't want to make a bad choice. Hope you're having a wonderful day, and uh, understand if you're too busy to reply to my email. Well, Zega, thank you for sending it. Not too busy at all. Thank you so much. This is a brilliant question that that you put me back, Zega and apologies if I'm, I'm pronouncing your name incorrectly, you put me back into the time when I had just passed my test. And I'm. you may well have heard this story before, so I will not go back into it too much in case I bore you, but I went out, I bought a Honda CB500 motorbike because I thought, good, well done, Fred, you're being sensible there, that's good don't go out and get anything too silly you've got to be sensible you've got to be level-headed with this realized i had no interest in that honda cb500 commuter bike and sold it almost immediately for a colossal loss i also remember looking at harley davidson sportsters and the truth is i couldn't afford it but i also was looking at them back in the day when i just passed my test thinking oh gosh even even a sportster with an what what are they 800cc engine or something even that's that's too big for me you know even that's too big i couldn't buy one of those an 800 or 1200cc engine that would be much much too scary for a first bike and in my opinion zega i was wrong about this my instructor when i was learning he told me something that i'll always remember He said that he went out and he bought a 1400cc bike for his first bike and I said, my lord, you are crazy, absolutely loopy. And he said, no, no, a bike is only as dangerous as you want it to be. You can go out and get a 1000cc sports bike and you can ride it gently and you can ride it safely and you can always stick within the limits and you can make sure that you're being smooth into the bends and similarly you can go out and buy a 500cc bike and ride it like a hooligan and it can be dangerous. So in a a roundabout way to answer your questions Egger, the difference between 45 horsepower and 65 horsepower is not so different that you will feel any element of danger or any element of not being safe on the bike. It's It's obviously more powerful but it's not so quick that you're going to put yourself into any dangerous situations at all. Moving from 45 horsepower to 65 horsepower like you're considering in my eyes shouldn't be any concern or shouldn't be of any consideration to you. You can go out there and you can buy that 65 horsepower motorbike with a completely clear mind that you're not doing anything crazy or loopy at all. That is a very, very nice next step up for you. And I would suggest actually you should be going probably for a a 65 horsepower bike. You will immediately feel at home on it. It will feel significantly similar enough to the 45 horsepower bike that you will just be able to get on, jump on, ride it, and you won't be getting yourself unstuck in corners or anything like that. So buy without any kind of concern. This is where it's a bit more controversial. If you also like the Honda Rebel 1100, I would say also go out and buy that bike. You'll be completely fine on it. Make sure you're nice and slow and steady. I would actually suggest going out riding by yourself for the first few weeks or so, just so you can get the hang of it and you don't feel under pressure riding with someone faster. But you'll be fine on the 1100 Honda. That's an easy bike to ride. Just make sure you're careful on it and you don't redline it, not that you would. You can go out and buy a Zerga, I promise you, any bike that you fancy. Just make sure you're safe on it initially and don't go too crazy. It's the corners that I got caught out with when I was first passing my test, making sure I was in the right gear and making sure I didn't release the clutch too quickly so it didn't fishtail and try and slap me off the bike. But go into things smoothly and you'll be fine. A friend of mine, Daniel Ipswich, his first bike was a Triumph Bobber. 1200cc, it's, it's completely fine. Just make sure that you're safe. But I would say, Zega, open up the entire biking market to yourself. Whatever you want, just go and grab the dream bike if the finances allow. Again, I know there'll be some people who disagree and think that's slightly irresponsible advice, but my advice to Zega, grab the dream bike if money allows. I move on and have a brilliant New Year's in the Netherlands. Happy New Year. On to, I'm sure this is JB in Scotland. JB in Scotland. Hi, Freddie. We're seeing two clear trends in motorcycling. One is of increasing tech and rising prices. Bikes are becoming more expensive and more complex. The other, a nostalgic, low low cost, simple bikes devoid of tech. Bikes that we can maintain ourselves and reliability and joy come from their simplicity. What I fear that we're seeing is bike manufacturers turning into car business models. When did that become a thing? When did a bike buyer share common wants to a car buyer? To me, they're chalk and cheese. The essence of Freedom Machines is freedom. To ride unencumbered and thus being umbilically tethered to all this new tech and options is arguably reducing our bike freedom. Having enjoyed the tech-laden Triumph Rocket, I now yearn for a simpler riding experience. I've come full circle. I now echo your skepticism of the BMW and KTM business models. I suspect switchable options will simply inflate and conflate future second-hand prices. I can see the benefits to second-hand owners getting options switched on to their preference, assuming that still works in four to five years' time. However, once we're all sucked into this tech spiral, then bike prices will rise. Bikes are not being tech future-proofed, but instead become another way to depreciate older models in favour of the latest and greatest tech that most new bike media covet. For example, look at the introduction of lean axis inertia measurement units from car suppliers like Bosch, convincing, convincing us to what things we never knew we wanted. This is Steve Jobs stuff. I'll start with that, actually, JB, and then I'll get on to your second point. Because this is a really good point that I know works very well, and I know it is a very, very good business model, not just for bikes, but business model everywhere, whether it's laptops, cars, motorbikes. Because a very good way that... Let's talk about motorbikes, because that's the core of this. A very good way that motorcycle manufacturers can entice current owners of bikes into buying the latest and greatest is of course, fit something or do something to the bike that the previous model didn't have. And because we're at such a point now where motorcycles are at their very core superb, they're all reliable, they're not going to rust away. They've all got anything over 60 horsepower more than enough power than you would ever need. So what can these bike manufacturers do to keep us buying bikes? Well, it's simple. You keep coming up with new bits of technology that, as JB rightly said, are marketed as the latest and greatest. How can we make this bike even better than the last one? You, we have to add something to it because we can't keep going where it's just a horsepower race, where you're on 300 horsepower on a a modern classic bike, it has to offer something else apart from that so you can see. You're right, JB, when you say they are turning more into cars. You know, some of the tech I've seen on a re- recent KTM, it's got radar, guided, or at least adaptive cruise control where it can see the vehicle in front. It's phenomenal what these new vehicles can do. It's also a good way to get people buying new vehicles. I think I may have said it on a previous podcast episode, but I was told this by, if my memory serves me correctly, by someone in the industry. And they said that modern classic owners tend to switch bikes once every seven to eight years. But adventure bike riders tend to switch their bikes every two years or so. Now, apologies if someone can tell me otherwise on that, but this is the information that I've been given. And let's just humor me for sake of argument that I'm correct with this. That means that these more tech-laden bikes, such as adventure bikes, are a far better business proposition than a modern classic bike, because modern classics, by the very soul, by the nature, are stripped back of everything. It's about the pure riding experience. And this is a reason why I've still got my Triumph Bonneville. Because when I go out and I test these other modern classics, as brilliant as they are, and they are better than my Bonneville, I don't get anything extra from the new ones that my Bonneville can't already offer me. Hence, I've kept the Bonneville because it's still so damn good compared to the current competition. And that's not an insult to the current competition. It's brilliant. They're almost too good. They've, They've reached a point where they're so superb, I just can't see myself selling it. And Steve Jobs did that so well telling you what you want, not asking the consumer, what would you like to see in the next phone? Well, no one's ever going to say, I need, an essence, a mini tablet for my pocket when Steve Jobs came along with the original iPhone, but he was absolutely right. He knew what people wanted, and it's the same now with the biking industry. Second point from JB. Why, this is a good one. I read this, JB, earlier, and, and I agree. This kind of resonated with me because it's exactly what I've been thinking second thought from jb why did honda not make the new hornet more retro here we go you've noticed or you've noted superbike sales are waning the days of powerful naked internal combustion engine bikes seem numbered and sales of simpler retro bikes are on the rise as are adventure bikes strangely anyway Why didn't Honda tap into this retro market with its new smaller parallel twin Honda Hornet instead it's purposed, the quasi KTM insect styling as have Suzuki to compete with the Yamaha MT-07. Yet if anything, Royal Enfield sales should tell us that if Honda had styled the Hornet to be more retro, then surely it would only broaden its appeal. Honda's Neo Cafe lineup uh, were more retro and lovely detailed things, yet not great sellers, so it appears Honda has now moved in a different direction. Confusingly, confusingly, I believe Honda will keep the previous 650R going for a while longer, well worth comparing to the Kawasaki Z650RS. Recalling you have loved the Kawasaki RS before, or RS bikes. So why do you think Honda went modern and not retro with the Hornet? It would surely have had nearly the punch of the Z 900 with the character of the 650 Z. Meanwhile, ironically, Yamaha that, uh, meanwhile, ironically, Yamaha that the Hornet directly targets, offers both retro and modern versions, AKA the XSR 700 and MT-07. How those sales compare might give us some clue. The Hornet seems pitched at younger riders, but do younger riders still want retro or is it the fashion moving forward back towards modern? Fashions change and often cyclical. Do fashions differ country to country, perhaps? Could a retro Hornet be on the way? Or perhaps going retro now is such a risk because Honda doesn't want to compete head-on with the cheaper Royal Enfield on price. Yeah, I... I have spent a long time wondering this, JB. The Honda CB 1100, that stunning modern classic bike from Honda. Every bit as good looking as the Triumph Bonneville. I've mentioned it a few times before on the podcast. That is a really beautiful motorcycle. But clearly it sold relatively so badly that Honda have discontinued it. This was a stunningly nice looking motorcycle. Why didn't it sell? Why did no one, relatively speaking, go out and buy the Honda CB 1100, that stunning modern classic. And then the Hornet comes along, the new Hornet. And when I saw it in the the press briefing, it's not a looker. It's just about as safe a looking bike as you could ever imagine. It is, yeah, kind of modern, but it gives me, it gives me nothing at all i'm sure it will sell because it's a honda but jb i i agree with you a hundred percent i was surprised the the angle they went down could they not have done a very slightly updated honda hornet keep the circular headlamp doesn't need to be completely retro but give it some kind of nod so it's got at least a little bit of character to it because Looks wise, at least it is a fairly forgettable looking bike, that Hornet, although I'm sure it will be brilliant. But will Honda come out with a genuine Royal Enfield competing bike? I always find it interesting that they, they don't seem to feel for one, either the need to bring out a competitive modern classic Honda or they don't have the confidence that they compete with Royal Enfield. I know they do a lovely 350cc Honda Classic, but that's only sold to the Asian markets. Why don't we get it here in the UK? Is there not a market for the Honda? Have now the old British brands and and the American brands, I Harley-Davidson and Indian, and the British brands Royal Enfield, BSA Triumph, have they now got the modern classic sector so wrapped up that it's actually repelling other other marks, such as the Japanese. If you ask me what Japanese modern classics are there, probably the only one that would come off the top of my head as an out-and-out modern classic, out-and-out, would be the Kawasaki Z900RS. And that's meant to be one of the best modern classics there is. You could be shouting now while listening to this and said, Freddie, what about the Kawasaki Z650RS? Yes, kind of but that's based on the Kawasaki Z650. That's a soft nod to the modern classics as opposed to an out-and-out modern classic. Seems to me like Japan, the Japanese, are almost conceding defeat in the, the modern classic area, although I welcome any feedback. Let me know if you strongly agree or disagree either way. Welcome, all thoughts. Right, I will. I'll end it there. All of the other... So I almost tripped over all of the other messages that you've kindly sent over. I will definitely get to next week. And I'll take this time now to thank every single one of you for listening over the the course of the past year. All of the, the messages that you sent over or just as a simple thing as just listening to a podcast episode it's hugely appreciated and it really does help so thank you to every single one of you all of you I appreciate your time and listening and getting involved have a fantastic new year and I will see you again in the next one